Gents, welcome to the new pod abode. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Thank you mm. very much. It's lovely here. Studio upgrade or downgrade? Be careful because you will offend one of us here, Rob. I know. It's either father's position. abode or my new one. <laughs> it's different, isn't it? It's mm. um, good, different, or more modern. I, yeah, I've, yeah, I've had a good yeah. good evening here. It's I've got a good vibe from the place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good food here. We'll yeah. do this more at a later date, but not. Not too connected to nature yet. Not bad. I don't think yeah. you've done too bad, considering you've only been there a couple of weeks. Yeah. No? Decent amount of houseplants around. Yeah, mm-hmm. good greenery. Good greenery. Yeah. And a good level of upcycling going on, which is very environmental. And my upcycling is now even more connected to nature, after it's just been deposited on by a bird outside. Yep, after perfect. getting its final layer. <laughs> I'll keep that. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because we're connected. A yeah. Um, it's been a while, hasn't it? What, what, over a month due to circumstances? Mm. So, Rob, you must have plenty to go at. Your homework report, should we start with that? Just remind us what it was. Yeah, so last episode was obviously on bees. Um, and so the homework was, um, well, there was a couple of bits. So the first was to, if we didn't have any uh, plants that would attract pollinators, then to get those planted in the garden. So I'd done quite well with that before the pod um, in that we'd had lavender and we'd had some herbs. I've got my herb bath. So I felt like I was quite covered there. So my focus really was to create the bee hotel, mm. uh, which, yeah, I've had good fun doing. It's uh, I've tried to be as um, resourceful as I can. So um, my I went, I've been foraging and scavenging in uh, yeah friends and family's gardens. So my sister um, and brother-in-law... Um, they have a garden which had uh, which well they've moved in the last couple of um, in the last few months and yeah in the garden they had a load of bamboo canes and they I found in the corner um, one of the old kind of wine uh, wooden boxes if you know what I mean nice. yes. which I thought would fit the bill nicely yeah. so um, yeah in the last uh, week or two I've been chopping up the canes um, I've put them in the I've stacked them in the wine box um, and I've stood the wine box on a, an old tile which was left in our garden and I've put a tile on top so so, um, so yeah, no, I'm pleased with it. Obviously, it's uh, it's still fresh. I've not seen much action, but no. Um, but is no. it a Heath Robinson? It's a complete Heath Robinson <laughs> nice. job. Yeah, I'm probably a few bamboo canes short from filling it, so it's <laughs> it does look a bit botch job. But um, I'm going to my sister's again in the next uh, few days, so I'll be sure to scavenge to a few bamboo. more. Yeah, yeah mm. exactly. So, um, but no, yeah, it's good fun. Good fun. Our last episode was the bees episode. And you've had quite a traumatic time since the pollinators, haven't you? They, they, it, well, we thought it would go down very well with the pollination family, but your not involvement, so not so much. Tell us what happened. So before the pod was released, in my 28 years on this planet, I have been stung once um, <laughs> by a bee many years ago. I stood on it. Since the pod has been released, I have been stung twice. <laughs> Um, and but I think yeah you know obviously we're trying to big up the pollinators and all of that but um, mm. I did throw some shade at some wasps during the episode you did. and both times I've been stung it's been by a wasp oh, so interesting. yeah I think what goes around comes around right mm. but yep. um, yeah one was right outside my house and the other one I put my hand on basically on a walk so um, yeah but only a few days apart um, so yeah bad and luck they, they stung you on a whim or did you antagonise them well i don't i think possibly on the first one um because i was limbering up before a run and my hands were behind my that back that is quite intimidating and, when you do oh that. yeah you know, <laughs> it's uh but um and so my hands were behind my back and i think i was just like in their space because i have noticed wasps by the hedge out the front so i don't know i just got too up close and personal i think and uh, yeah 
Got We've learned a lesson. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, luck. perhaps it's karma, actually, um, for something else which you need to tell our our listeners about. What's it's happened that? again, hasn't it? What? You know what? You know what's happened again in oh. the heat wave. <laughs> you dirty, dirty man! <laughs> tell us. So I, so we've obviously just had a spell of hot weather. <laughs> In the south of England. And uh, and I text Jasper during that and I said, I'm going to tell you something in confidence. I don't oh, want no. this repeated to a larger audience or to anyone. And it was that Irene next door was once again cutting her own lawn. <laughs> uh, but this time in 25 degree heat. So uh, obviously it was, uh, yeah, it's heart wrenching. But um, yeah, I had to say, I thought I was safe with that one. Yeah. Well, speaking of um, being safe with things you have actually brought something in for for both well for all of us to try mm. yeah you're what have not you got out of it no so during the grow your own episode father kindly gave us two plants to put on our windowsill mm. one of which was um has it been avocado. five years already <laughs> yeah here's my alligator pair um Obviously, so yeah, one of which was the avocado, the second of which was um, the sweet pepper um, plant. Hot, hot chilli pepper. Well, yeah, there's a yeah. bit of ambiguity oh, we'll, we'll, about we'll the out. heat of, the, of <laughs> mm. the peppers. But no, so they've been coming through in the last um, in the last few weeks, and I've probably got eight or nine of them now. They're only about thumb size, though, So, but the, one, the first one that came through um, has, hasn't really grown in the last couple of weeks, so I thought I'd chop it off, bring it here tonight, and we could uh, try it. You know, live, live action on air. Uh, mm. without really knowing um, the heat of them so mm. this could so, register quite high on the Scoville <laughs> <laughs> so the success of the pod is based on the next 30 seconds or so presumably yeah. we might have to come back yeah. to this episode at a later date <laughs> <laughs> okay then it's going to be a short one um, send send me one down then Robbie right so I'm looking at a lovely well yeah it looks, it looks like a green chili as Lovely, opposed to thank pepper. you yeah so it's green at the moment and uh these should eventually go a beautiful yellow and should taste of citrus amidst the heat <laughs> right so okay. are we ready to chomp i can say yeah i i think on three we'll do it okay then. um let's do that one two three <laughs> <laughs> it's got some oh my god <laughs> Oh. oh my god okay well, <laughs> at this point I'll say the other two put <laughs> the other two put both citrus. their bits in I just popped a little bit in and yeah not much citrus but oh, I'll tell you what my cheek is on fire my god that would warm you get up get the milk that would warm you up on a winter's day oh. I'm going to pop the last bit back just oh, in case you want me to say anything tonight. <laughs> mm. Wait, that's oh. effective, isn't it? I think I'm losing my voice. That's really effective. So here's a shout out once again to the Real Seed Company mm. for their that's a real hot seed. lemon citrus peppers, which um, I'll get back to them and tell them that we've oh, <laughs> featured word. them and how successful that is. Okay, can you... Um, well, just before we take a break, an enforced break, John, can you just give a uh, shout out to um, our first ever binge listeners? We think yes. they're our first ever. I would imagine so. So the lovely Rachel and her family uh, complimented us on the podcast, which was very kind of them, and said that they had actually listened to five episodes back to back on a trip from Surrey down to uh, Cornwall and I think that took a fair bit of doing I thank her for doing it and I thank her even more for saying that they enjoyed it so thanks very much Rachel much appreciated yeah, yeah. thank you Rachel quite the slog yeah. <laughs> yeah we love that five hours in our company that is some achievement um, we're going to take a break an enforced break and we'll be back shortly yeah I need some milk <laughs> the next noise you hear is actually our mouths If you'd like to be part of the Father Nature tribe, follow us on our social media accounts. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Father Nature HQ. You can also email us directly. Our address is FatherNatureHQ at gmail.com.
Okay, we're back. Sorry about that, gents. Oh. I thought that would be a nice thing to do. But yeah. yeah. That was amazing. That was really effective. And of course, very effective. there's lots of things about the burning qualities of chilli that are really good for you. So I say, big up that crop. Mm. An entirely indoor crop that can be produced in the middle of the city and has brought you directly in con- contact with nature. And the rest of your bits here, John, if you want to get... Yeah, uh, I might have it for myself, well home, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> right, today's episode, Pond Life. I think this might class as our most requested episode to date. Um, so let's start, John, mm. with the obvious question to start with. What is a pond... And when is a pond not a pond? Right. Well, I'm really glad that this actually came up because... And I'm glad I took the precaution of checking because it actually proves it doesn't matter how long you sort of study all this stuff and you're into it. It's easy to think that sort of what you thought you knew in the past isn't necessarily true. And I, if I had just answered off the cuff, I would have said that... Um, a lake always has an inlet and an outlet of running water and a pond is stagnant. But actually, that's completely wrong. And uh, fortunately, I did look this up. And actually, a pond, technically, is shallow enough to allow sunlight to reach the bottom of the pond itself, the pond bed. And this this is known as a photic zone. And it's where basically sort of any... uh, plant life can live any aquatic plant life because light can penetrate to those layers lakes have deeper zones which are known as aphotic zones below which you don't get sort of plant life you still get plenty of actual life um and actually this this photic zone apparently can be as much as 200 meters deep plus where depending on where you are and how exposed the actual uh, pond is. So I think technically most of what we might even know as lakes are probably scientifically ponds. So slightly dull sort of explanation, but that's what it is. That's the difference Mm -hmm. between a pond and a lake. Very interesting. So would it be possible to have a tiny... Or, uh, like diameter-wise, something very tiny in your garden, but to dig deep enough to classify it as a lake. Could you own a lake? I think you probably <laughs> couldn't. No, oh. and it probably wouldn't be worth the effort. In that, and something we'll come on to. The the whole thing about ponds is they are teeming with wildlife, and so actually keep them photic would be my advice. Okay. Okay, then we'll keep them photic. Um, so, what wildlife exactly do we get? Right, so the wonderful thing about ponds is essentially they are an ecosystem within themselves. They, they, an established pond will have literally all forms of wildlife in, right from single-celled uh, plants and animals, right the way up to uh, sort of obviously flowering plants, uh, marginal plants, oxygenating plants, and on the sort of animal front, you've got a, a huge, huge number of insects and invertebrates, and they in turn will nurture lots of um, things like amphibians and uh, reptiles, and then in turn bird life, and even like mammals always come down to all, all mammals drink mm. so they they will access some form of not necessarily pond or lake or river you know but they they all need to drink as well so um huge important and a, a an actual sort of micro ecosystem in themselves and the really important thing about the whole garden pond thing is that all ecosystems tend to be in a state of flux. So if you like, one of my favourite expressions for it is you're witnessing an imbalance of nature as opposed to a balance. And if you've got loads and loads of different ponds, then they're all in a different state of flux. So you never, for instance, have one where all the frogs might be wiped out by, say, a grass snake. 
Whereas your particular pond, you might have a resident grass snake which wipes out all your frogs one year. But if there's ponds so either side of Does you, a grass snake live in the pond? A gr- they will it's hunt inaccurately in the ponds. named, if so. Yes, it's um, maybe slightly inaccurate, but they don't live full-time in the pond. I mean, they, they breathe air, and uh, they, uh, they spend a lot of time outside of a pond, and they breed outside of a pond, often in composts. Uh, but uh, they will hunt a lot in ponds. Mm. So they, they will hunt frogs and toads, yeah. and fish probably effective because they don't think that a grass snake would be in there <laughs> you know also they're very swift and they're stealthy and uh and they're they're very very fast and accurate if you see a, a grass snake swimming you think to yourself boy that's that's not random that really knows where it's going compare mm. that to the speed of a frog or a toad going through the water you know what the likely outcome is yeah do, do all that's snakes scary. Yeah, do all snakes swim? I think all Most snakes can, but they don't necessarily choose to. I mean, our, our other sort of main resident snake, the adder, tends to live in much drier conditions on the heath. Mm. So I've I've never known of a, an adder swimming, but most animals can swim. Mm. Um, I've seen bizarre animals like uh, when, when the river used to flood near where I lived as a kid... Um, we used to go down sometimes and the moles would have been sort of pushed out of their, their their burrows by the rising water levels and the flooding of the river. And two or three times we would see moles swimming. No. And they were amazingly adept, you know, those great big front uh, sort of feet of theirs acting like huge, great sort of paddles. And they, they went along at a fair pace. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Very good. Yeah, I didn't expect that. Um, sorry, I interrupted you then. Do you know where you uh, left off? <laughs> Uh, I think we left off, we were talking about the amount of life mm. uh, that you get in ponds. And if you've got a pond close to you, you really can witness the the old sort of food chain that we used to sort of talk about. So you'll be looking at things like, um, if you, if, especially if you go out in the evening and shine a torch into the water, you'll see all the larval forms of loads of our uh are sort of insects as well as uh, uh, insects that live full time in water and uh, and then if you're just watching you'll probably catch sight of things like newts maybe uh, frogs and occasionally toads although toads live most of their life outside of water and uh, all those things will be feeding on insects and worms and such like that you find in the water mm. so they and the 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 great thing is you can fill up a pond from scratch and uh it will pretty much colonize itself but i think we'll talk about that we'll get on to that yeah Yeah. what's your um favorite pond dweller do you think rob if you had to pick one um so when we were younger we had a it was like we built a pond in one of our garden well in the garden but it was like you you know you buy like the plastic tub and you fill it up and that always used to um, be quite entertaining and we would get loads of frogs in that and mm. from a young age I remember kind of like trying to be brave enough with my sisters to grab a frog out the pond and um, so I'd say probably frogs but like when when I think of that pond as well and when I as a child like we always had like goldfish in them which obviously is like really? less of a yeah we'd always have well not necessarily like the goldfish you'd see like I suppose in the home, but we would have oh, fish yeah. in the pond in the fairground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it won them. Um, <laughs> but no, I think for me, yeah, probably our froggy friends because mm. you don't tend to have fish and um, wild life in the same po- uh, pond, do you, John? Depends on the size. Um, the bigger the pond, the more you can get away with it. Yeah, but if we're talking garden ponds or some form of sort of water feature for the smaller garden, then no, because the, the the fish will be too predatory. And usually, if you want reasonable-sized fish in a small-sized pond, they will literally... You certainly wouldn't get a successful hatching of tadpoles that would make it as far as being adult mm. uh, uh, frogs or toads. Would you get adult frogs going into a pond with fish yes yeah, yeah they, they will go in because the fish won't take the the ponds and the, the frogs 
you know, in fairness, the frogs and toads will still attempt to breed. But as soon no, as they as in, hatch out... Not together. Oh, no, like they a won't... Frog, a frogfish. They, <laughs> they won't crossbreed. No. Um, but everything that hatches out will eventually become fish fodder. Yeah, yeah, because that that sounds about right. Because the, the we bought the point. It was actually so. My dad's a gardener and used to garden for this. Uh, so this is a massive tangent, but he used to garden for this old lady who passed away, and she had a huge pond for the uh, for the fish. So we literally like had a. I remember like we took a uh, like a box of fish <laughs> in his van, brought them home, like dug the pond. And then, so basically, we transported the uh, the fish, but there, I don't remember there ever being like yeah, like say frog spawn or anything um, particularly natural about no, it. No, you but probably, I would uh, find yeah frogs in there. Yeah, and yeah. and the other thing that you wouldn't get, uh, I know we've mentioned before in our podcast, is the wonderful things like um, the damselflies and dragonflies mm. because their their larval stage, their the nymph stage, lasts for several years underwater, and to be able to, I mean dragonflies and damselflies themselves are very predatory so they actually need to be successful things like tadpoles and uh bloodworms and such like you know larval forms of other flies uh to feed on and if they haven't got them then they equally won't be successful in becoming adult dragonflies but they'll they'll be gobbled up by uh pond fish yeah those types of animals and particularly newts and dragonflies they always seem so old to me like they fascinate me Mm. they seem like they've because they have been around for millions of years haven't they absolutely millions and millions of years yeah i I mean they they there's there's fossil verse sort of like records of them going back literally tens of millions of years and um the remarkable thing perhaps is that they're the fossil versions of them have changed hardly at all with the modern counterparts which usually is a suggestion that they are at the pinnacle of their development there's no need to evolve away from that form because it's it's like perfection as far as their breeding success goes if something is needing to adapt to an environment it will generally over the course of like well not as many as millions of years, but certainly thousands of years, can adapt to change. And, uh, you know, you, you see this sort of thing with the various Galapagos Island indigenous things where, uh, let's just say the finches, for example, are just marginally different from each other according to the island they live on and how they, and how they live. Mm. But some of those fossils, they, they've been examined by the sort of paleontologists and they look to be almost exactly identical you know they can identify the species level pretty much with Mm. their modern counterpart it's amazing today but it's not just the wildlife that benefit from ponds or from water is it because it's incredibly good for us as well yeah totally um i I think most people would agree that we sort of almost have this primal draw towards water features uh sitting by rivers lakes ponds or of course the seashore is completely therapeutic and i i think it's a really primal thing i think our sort of like post ice age sort of population would have existed in the uk largely in coastal areas predominantly because it was warmer and uh also because there's a a more constant form of food around with shellfish and such like uh, and I think from that, there's this kind of feeling at this draw for almost like a homely type experience. And it's been proved that if you actually sit and just uh, sit by water and just watch water and by it, it releases a hormone oxytocin into your bloodstream. And this is a really useful way of uh, countering the stress hormone cortisol. So you you sort of could kind of think well okay let's say we're we're at work and the stress hormones building up and we got cortisol surging through our system <clears throat> go and chill out by a water source for an hour or so and the oxytocin will start to neutralize it and we feel calmer the pulse goes down the blood pressure goes down and we we just feel great mm. 
and uh by the seashore i think we i can't remember with we mentioned the other day or it was in one of my instagram things uh the the action of the surf causes the ionized air which is really good for your lungs and your circulation that's ionized ion as opposed to iron and it's basically negatively charged ions are really thick in the air and we breathe them in and uh it's said to be very beneficial so that's just too that's just sitting by water i mean other people i'd say myself included i find it really difficult to meditate because my mind's a bit ping pong and try as i might i i don't my mind doesn't calm and certainly doesn't empty but i do find uh that if you sit by something that's constantly slightly moving not necessarily in a dramatic way but things like um you know ripples on water waves uh just flowing water of rivers stuff like that it actually really pacifies the mind it gives your eyes something to just watch and you're not concentrating anymore and emptying your mind you're just watching the flow it's a bit like some people do cloud meditation for the same reason they find it really difficult to empty their mind so that's another thing which i think is really important that helps our sort of connection to our water features as as part of our connection to nature really and part of our way of looking after ourselves in a in a what you might call a high stress sort of lifestyle have you got anything to add to that rob with your own experiences in terms of water and what effects or benefits you've had yeah i mean just listening to that like there are a few times in my life that i can think of where I haven't been in a great uh, headspace myself and have naturally been drawn to water. And I remember a particular time we were on holiday, actually. And yeah, I just was, I, I think I was just in overdrive and feeling a bit overwhelmed with life just in general. And we went and we were, we were in, um, we were on an island. And so when I went to the ocean or went to the beach, instantly I just felt calmer. And it's like you say, like, and you've obviously got the sort of medical um, and biological reasons for that. And when I'm looking at water, especially something as vast as the ocean, I just think of like, I'm, I'm almost, I'm looking at the ripples and the waves, like you say, which has um, a positive effect. But I almost always think about what's going on underneath as well and mm. the vastness mm. of it. And I just, mm. that as soon as I start to think about something as big as that, it makes whatever I'm thinking about seem so insignificant and, um, and pale in, compar- in comparison to that, that I think that helps me calm as well. Mm. And... Um, I get the same thing with, you know, I have a similar effect when if I look on a clear night and you look in the, in the stars mm. and everything mm. like that. So, but, but water, like you say, has all, for me personally, has always been, um, has been very calming and therapeutic and yeah, not just as something as vast as the ocean. Like you say, we've, whenever there's a walk the which, in which we can tie uh, a visit to a lake or a pond in, we always do it. And yeah, you same. just stop yeah. and you just mm. stop and observe it. And it's, um, there's always we, something going on, isn't there? Always something going on and always something new to see. And it's like, well, I literally did it twice this weekend to, I've got, um, yeah, a couple of parks near me and, um yeah went with friends one day and with family the next and it is just you stop you you like take it in and there's always points oh what's that and oh what's this doing and oh i haven't seen one of those before and it's it is just interesting and uh yeah no for me water and be it ponds lakes um the ocean has always been like a a source of Mm. um yeah tranquility Do do you remember when we saw that heron where was that remember we did that walk around graceswood and oh I had the God! Binoculars and we saw that heron. Yeah, that was not like a good example of a heron. Was that it? heron that was... had seen a thing or two, hadn't it? It was. <laughs> yeah, it was looking haggard. It was either a bully or had been bullied. It was. Oh. It was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Might have been in a molt. If you mm. looked a bit wrecked, that's my mm. next excuse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a molt. <laughs> Our podcast is the perfect start as you seek a deeper connection with the natural world. But why not take it one step further? If you're liking what you're hearing from Father Nature, why not book a day with our resident nature expert, Johnny Taylor? 
Whether it's one-to-one, group sessions or a corporate day to enhance your staff's well-being, we have all elements of Nature Connection covered. Guided walks, firelighting, foraging, bushcraft are just some examples of what we offer. We will tailor the day to suit your needs. Just email us at fathernaturehq at gmail.com or send us a message on our social media accounts at fathernaturehq to let us know you're interested and we'll get straight back in touch. Okay, let's bring it back to ponds then because obviously that is just the, the benefits of water in general and I think we'll cover that in more depth in a later episode. But what we're saying is, you know, if you can't have access to the ocean the whole time, that you can get the same sort of benefits from a small pond in your garden or a pond locally. So, yeah, certainly. I mean... Not the ionised air, obviously. Not the ionised air. You know, other benefits. Maybe not the sort of, like... You wouldn't get the wild swimming effect, um, but uh, you for could example, try. You'd yeah, you could a, try. You'd have to have a big pond. Yeah, my my garden pond as a as a kid was actually a bathtub, um, you know, just an old fashioned bath that was sunk into the ground. Mm-hmm. So it was was a bath about f- you know five foot long and uh, maybe eighteen inches deep, and so it was just dug into the ground and the plug stuck in and filled up with water. <laughs> That's a good idea. And it honestly, I I would sit by that pond for hours and it was always teeming with life. Mm. Um, there, there was a couple of rocks in it for a bit of sort of, you know, shelter for, for things. And uh, I, I think there were occasionally the odd fish, as you say, the sort of funfair jobs that would be introduced to it a bit naively and then they would be plucked out by the heron in no time but as a water feature even though when i look back it was rather unattractive because we didn't make any effort to disguise the fact that it was just an old bath uh which perhaps nowadays i might have at least put some paving around it or or some woodwork or something but um but it was very effective and it was very interesting and it was very relaxing so so yeah it's an old pond will do the uh, sorry an old bathtub or something like that 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 will do the job although i think most people today would like something a little bit maybe more visually attractive one of my neighbors a couple doors down is literally having some work done and there's a bathtub outside their house at the moment (laughs) maybe i'll go pinch it (laughs) nice pond you got there (laughs) yeah but you you could bound it so that i mean the pond i've got now is just a square pond but i've put like sleepers around the edge so that it looks slightly better Mm. um and that would still work with the pond a bit long and narrow dull shaped but uh the important part, and this is for anyone who's thinking of like building a pond. Let's put the plug in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, put the plug in, and but the important the important part of any pond is the depth. You don't want an aphotic layer. You don't want an a. Otherwise, you've got yourself a lake. You don't want it too shallow. You don't want it too shallow either. Now, what can happen? So let's look at the difference between a puddle and a pond, (laughs) let's say. (laughs) Um, If you've got a very small pond, let's let's say the size of a washing up bowl, that will, in no time at all, if you just fill that up with water, it will get life in it mosquito larvae various different flying bugs that have their life cycle in water and other flying bugs that will come in to hunt in water so it can be as small as that a washing up it can but the trouble with something like that is the water temperature fluctuates too much and it will get too hot during the day and, and potentially too cold especially as you move on in the year and it will freeze solid and that will destroy everything in it. So you need to up the volume of the water. And in upping the volume of the water, you want depth as much as anything. Because if it's deeper, then it will never completely ice up. Not unless it was completely exceptional con- conditions. Uh, and it will never sort of get too warm. Because a lot of things can't 
can't survive warm water i mean we're 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 a sort of northern temperate sort of climate so uh so we want less fluctuation in temperature as we can get of course the top layer of the water will always fluctuate but if you've got some depth things can go a bit deeper so let's say i mean one of my favorite sort of recommendations because it is just about the minimum size for what i'd call a stable uh sort of ecosystem so this is if someone wants to go out and build themselves a little pond in their garden yeah so something equivalent to half of a barrel we've all seen the half barrels that you can get to plant up and such like um sometimes these can can i just ask is that so i'm imagining a whiskey barrel yes which way am i cutting it in half they're usually uh, garden centres. They'll already be cut in half. Yeah, but so you're going so you're left with like a semicircle so, shape. Yeah, yeah. They usually cut them in half so they can get two ponds out of each barrel. So when the barrel's stood up, you cut yeah. it in half. Yeah, and it will be down the what, other way. About, I suppose, uh, a couple of feet tall, half a meter tall. Yeah. Okay. And you can Something sink like that, that down, presumably. It's you don't have to sink it down, but it will be more stable if you did sink it down. So. For for example, if you had young children or kids, you might not want to sink it down because of the the hazard of them falling in, um, and it, you might consider it safer stood up. So a barrel, sort of just at surface level, and stood up, that's great. A barrel sunk down to ground level is much better, if if you can, because a the temperature will be uh, more regulated, more consistent. But B, of course, then your sort of ground dwelling creatures can access it. I'm talking things like your frogs and toads and newts, which, of course, make their way over ground. And uh, they will be able to find it and actually access it and maybe even breed. So whereas they're not going to climb up the side of a half barrel. When you say like newts, toads and frogs will find, is there like, do they have a sense or like a primal instinct to find water? Yes, they do. Yeah, yeah. So in the sort of uh, sort of early spring, earlier than you would might imagine, actually, because of course all of those things do hibernate. Um, but in early spring, sort of usually about late February, early March, they will be on the march looking to breed, and you know you sometimes get them covering a great deal of distance and they will go across sort of like sometimes roads and fields and things to get to wherever they're going to breed now they don't there's there's a bit of a myth that they always go back to where they were born and it's true to an extent but it doesn't mean that they'll only breed in the pond or uh lake where they were born because they won't they they will if there's something on the way and if they're attracted by the call of other frogs and toads because they they sort of you know croak and rivet that time of year and uh that will be enough to mean that they might be you know within a few hundred meters of where they were born but not strictly so and again this brings back the importance of if you've got a pond and there's no ponds around you you might have to actually start that population off if you have got ponds around you then it might be that they they find you uh all depends where you are and what's around you so how do you start it off if you don't well i would say um with a brand new pond uh the best way to start it off is literally fill it up well first of all make sure it's waterproof so often with those barrels they need to be soaked and if you're at all unsure or if you're not doing a barrel, you're you're digging a hole in the ground. Because you can but just buy a small pond. Can't you, you can buy a small pond, which they're, will they're be like those fiberglass or something. Typically, or those black silicon. No, uh, uh, butyl mm. liners, yeah. Butyl, or you yeah. can get you can dig a pond to whatever shape you like, and then lay a butyl sheet on it, which is like a rubber sheet, and they're quite thick so that they don't puncture. And uh, you lay them on, and then you fill it up with water, and then you have to just leave it. The water you fill it up with is probably going to be tap water. So it's chlorinated. It needs time to for that chlorine to dissipate and sort of purify before anything will uh, colonise it. Mm. Swimming pools look like they're going to be amazing ponds, but they get no life in at all because they're chlorinated. 
Um, that's that's what stops things happening. I've seen ducks land on swimming pools before now, and they sort of take one sniff and they're gone <laughs> because they they sort of think, yeah, no, this isn't for us. Uh, but um, so fill it up with water, whether it's a barrel or a pond or something like that. Leave it to stand for a while. Then, if you've got a buddy with a pond, see if you can transfer like a jug of pond, pond water and some oxygenating weed the oxygenating weed is probably the most important thing you can put in there uh something like canadian pond weed is always great uh as soon as the sun hits it it starts bubbling out oxygen and that will keep your water healthy if you can put a jug of somebody else's pond water in that will contain thousands of different life forms the sort of almost planktonic type things the, the single-celled things, the water fleas, that sort of thing. And that will start what I would call sort of providing the bottom of the food chain. And you'll suddenly be looking in there and it'll be teeming with insect life. And then the mosquitoes will find it and the gnats, they will lay their eggs in it and no time at all you'll have the characteristic larvae. And before we're sort of saying, oh, we don't want mosquitoes and gnats and midges, we remind ourselves that things like a pipistrelle bat will eat a thousand of them in a night. And we're trying to encourage our bats. So we do want them. Yeah, we can use our sort of like midge guard if we're very sensitive to that. But essentially, you do want them for wildlife. Then, you know you might find that you start getting a bit of algae sort of blooming around the, on the sides of the line and stuff like that. If that's the case, you can either go to the pet shop and get a few water snails or, again, you might find some in a pond and that you can just sort of like relocate a couple of them, let them get going. Uh, and if there's some marginal plants that you quite like then and you've got the room, plant them on the margins your pond wants to be in in quite a bit of sunshine really especially if it's deep it will enjoy the sunshine uh if it's in absolute full sunshine you're a bit worried treat yourself to a, a little lily pad you know you can get miniature ones and that will create just enough shade but allow enough sunlight to really keep the pond water uh clear I actually wanted to ask about lily pads because um, we've mentioned it a couple of times, but my sister has a pond um, and they moved into their place in January. So they, this is their, and this is their first pond. So they've been watching it through the seasons Mm. and what comes and goes and, and all the rest. And around yeah march april may time lily pads just appeared and like covered the whole pond basically. Yeah. And so there was a question as to the, how does that come to be like would someone have planted that originally do they how how do they, do they just grow uh it, that would have been planted right yeah and they do spread and um a lot of the time the best thing to do is have a little bit of a winter sort of like um thin out mm. and this goes for your marginals as well because the, the marginals are the ones that grow around the outside like your um flags and irises and there's things like water mint that you might have and um and and there's a whole plethora of them lovely marsh buttercups things like that so if they get too big just halve them and encourage someone else to build a pond and set them help (laughs) set them up because otherwise you'll get too many of either and water lilies i mean my one i've only had the water lily there for two years and it's it's four times the size now i reckon from its first year so come winter time i'll i'll yank it up and i'll literally just put a third of it back and and see if i can rehome the other two you know the other two thirds of it it's a beautiful lily and you know mm. it's stunning but it's best kept in check because we're keeping it's almost like we've got our own little sort of uh sort of um what's the word i'd say nature reserve Mm -hmm. within this pond and the smaller it is the more management it takes in a funny sort of way because as i was saying uh, earlier 
we're constantly witnessing an imbalance of nature those plants will grow as much as they can and uh and so unless we put something in that will feed on the plants uh that we'll need to control that for them and if you put something in that controls them you have to put it in just the right amount that the amount that was eaten matched what was uh grown each year so it's a tough balancing act and uh the easiest way is just to you know intervene yourself if you're enjoying the father nature podcast we'd really appreciate it if you do three simple things for us leave us a nice review recommend us to a friend and hit the subscribe button all three things really help us to reach more people so that's review recommend subscribe thank you Right, let's move on to if you don't have outdoor space, like myself now. Could I just say there's some things not to put in your pond? Okay. Okay, yeah, sorry. It. Uh, it's just really important um, not to put in uh, invasive species of any sort. Uh, so What's I'm thinking uh, crayfish. Some people might be <laughs> sort of tempted because they're, they're sort of all over the place. <laughs> these crayfish and uh and they they will wipe out so much of the life that you have it's illegal for a start but they're they're a pest and um so don't encourage crayfish uh, <laughs> uh i think that's going to disappoint a lot of the listeners yeah okay. well, this might disappoint me what i would say for wildlife reasons don't put in fish and i'd even go so far as to say don't put in common newts ah, because newts are quite common compared to frogs and toads if you can encourage frogs and toads they will benefit newts seem to have adapted much better to uh to to sort of life as it is and uh newts also eat a lot of tadpoles so you'll find that newts will make their own way there. Trust me, they, they will get in there because they are pretty common. Um, there, there's several versions and not all of them are common, but uh, the common newt is. And well, they don't really coexist <laughs> with um, frogs and toads and the like. Well, they coexist rather nicely because they eat all their young tadpoles. Right. Um, you know, and like in my pond, I'm a bit worried about the number of newts I've got because if I shine a torch in that, I will see, you know, 10, 15, 20 newts. Um, and the when the frogs actually do breed, the numbers of tadpoles do go down rather rapidly for my liking. So I'm slightly more concerned about uh, frog and toad conservation than common newt conservation. That's It's just my opinion, but, um, you know, some people might sort of think oh I'll, I'll just stock it with newts because there's you know it'll be nice and it would but it'll be nicer if it's stocked with frogs and toads hmm. okay anything else uh just uh don't don't have invasive uh there's various water weeds which will clog it up in no time at all parrot's feather um and there's various sort of marginals that grow like triffids so just look at what you're sort of putting in or if, if someone's giving you some examples from their pond see what the sort of parent plant looks like for example don't gr- grow a giant lily in a small pond simple as that mm. teeming with crayfish yes um, <laughs> okay let's move on then to as i said if you don't have any outdoor space uh, before we do actually it was a good point you made about um pond safety as well as yeah. Because you do need to make it safe for children and for pets as well. Yeah, I mean, the the thing... To make it safe for pets, I'd say the most important thing is to have... If you've got marginal plants, they can usually... If something fell in, like our dog several times has fallen in ponds, but it can grip on the bank and get out. My old bath that, when, as I, that I had as a kid, that would be lethal if something like a hedgehog fell in it because it had steep sides so we would stick a branch in that was sort of submerged at one end and came out the other end so that if 
for example, a hedgehog fell in, it could scrabble its way out. Um, obviously, if you've got kids, you can put a little bit of trellis or something over it just for peace of mind. And um, and then the kids can enjoy the pond as well, yeah. of course. And likewise with animals, if you'd like to. Um, so what about if you don't have outdoor space, then what's the best thing to do? I think the, if you haven't got an outdoor space and you can't sort of uh, have your own pond as yet, just find out locally where your your local sort of freshwater thing is. There will be uh, maybe um, ponds, canals, rivers, whatever's near you, especially canals will always have a towpath. Um, just check them out, but take a little bit more time to look at them. Maybe if sort of one of the things you could do is like think to yourself, well, we they were talking about ponds the other day on that podcast. Let's sort of find out for myself. Just sit down and spend a quarter of an hour by some water, not just to get the therapeutic effect, but also see if you can see what insect life is sort of buzzing around on the surface. Going back to what you were talking about, Rob, there's so much underneath that you Mm -hmm. won't be able to see probably. If you're near very clear water, you might see some fish just hanging in the the current of a river. Um, But just take a closer look. And uh, it's it's coming to the end of a sort of like the busy time for a lot of insects now because we're approaching autumn uh so the the amount of insect life on the surface is starting to diminish a bit but it's still very much there and of course things like bees will come down to drink on the margins so you'll see a lot of life sort of coming down on the, the the sort of edges there just literally to drink but um yeah yeah go to it Right, we're going to finish off this episode then, stepping away from pond life uh, for now, because we've got good news. If you're listening to this when it's released, we've got a celebration on the horizon, haven't we? Yeah, we have. We're we're rapidly coming towards the um, autumn equinox, which is uh, traditionally known in some parts as Mabon or Mabon. And from an astronomer's point of view this is uh the time of the year when the sun is directly above the equator so how they actually really knew that all those thousands of years ago when they very started they started celebrating it i don't know but it's a a weird wonderful thing that they did and i i think it's it's not sort of celebrated so much nowadays but i think it should be because i think we should have any excuse for a bit of a celebration and a party. It's traditionally one of the the, the three um, harvest festivals. It's it's like the middle one. We we talked about Lammas last time, and there's sowing coming up after this one. But this one was like a seen as a they they must have well. It's when the daylight hours equal the nighttime hours. So it's seen as a time of balance, basically, and it was traditionally treated as a time of to celebrate the balance and also to celebrate the height of the um, harvest. And if you're going around the countryside at the moment, you'll see that there's huge mounds of straw and haylage and hay because the harvest has generally all been taken in now. So we're at the height of the harvest when the work starts to perhaps subside uh, for the in the agricultural world as far as the harvest now should be pretty much in. So it's a time of celebration as far as that goes. It's also for the, the naturalist and the forager a time of sort of abundance now. And it's why uh, things like apples and pears, soft fruits and nuts are very much part of the Mabon uh, celebration scene, especially apples in history seem to have been celebrated this time of year. Uh, so when you're out in the countryside, it's it's great now to look round and you've got things like hazelnuts starting to ripen. The elderberries are already ripe. Uh, we've got things like the horse chestnuts and the sweet chestnuts. They're all starting to ripen. And uh, crab apples... Uh, and of course apples and pears within orchards they're all in season now so we can really make sure when we go to our supermarkets or our shops that we're buying british 
apples and pears if we can that all helps or pick them off the tree in your garden john pick them off we're yeah we're we're swallowing up several at the moment they're all come good uh we're having to share our crop with nature which is always a bit of a sort of like you know um (laughs) a slight dilemma as i'm viewing these beautiful like abundance of hazelnuts ripening and we've got gray squirrels plundering them before they're quite ripe enough to pick it sort of you know just makes me wonder a little bit just quickly i remember being around your house last year and commenting on how many apples you had on the trees and and on the floor and in the house and just asking what would you do with all these apples and i asked how many you ate and at that point you were eating five a day so yes. it's, it's, well, they're not all that big. And, you, and I'm concerned now because now Jasper's moved out, your other yeah. son's moved out. How many apples are you eating a day now? <laughs> I'm, probably, I'm probably on three or four a day at the moment. Um, but... You took five I'm, a day, also, very literally. Yeah. Well, yeah. And let's, uh, don't forget, I think you asked me that just after lockdown and I was yeah, like, spending was. a lot of time in the garden. So... Yeah, it would be a question of like you'd hear a thump and an apple drop down and you think oh, don't mind if i do <laughs> <laughs> so it would go down the hatch and uh you know they're good for you but the other thing i'm doing is because i can't bear waste and so we're, we're actually picking them up and what what we don't eat or what's got a big old bruise on it or something we quickly peel them and stew them nice and so then we can just bung them in the freezer and it's like I picked a massive load of uh, damsons last week and I've just given them a quick boil and now I need to strain all the flesh off and I'll just bang them in the freezer. Because, yeah, if you ate all the fruit that comes <laughs> at once, it would give you the screaming yab-dab. So it's, uh, <laughs> right, so when is the autumn equinox? I think it's the 22nd this year. Okay, so Wednesday the 22nd yeah. of September traditionally and celebrated with things like apple pie yeah that's what i was um, thinking yeah or, or crumble yeah apple, crumble, apple, crumble, yeah. apple turnover something like that um or just an apple just whatever. an apple yeah. it's a british apple it's an acknowledgement of the season again for me that this is why i i tie it in with nature and the connection uh, and yeah the connection to it i mean we it's easy to lose sight of because we can get apples every day of the year anyway but if you can possibly avoid at the right time of year buying a sort of apples with like a super long air mile thing attached to them, you know, do so. And also if you can buy the different varieties of English apples that you probably only get at a sort of greengrocers because the, the wretched supermarkets don't tend to have a contract with these guys. But um, yeah, buy them at the farm gate and, uh, you know, just just this back in our back in the day 17th century onwards we had apples for most counties in the country and uh and we had orchards literally to die for they were fantastic but unfortunately so many of them got grubbed up um i think there's there's two or three places that have got a huge abundance of apple varieties now uh we've got i think about six in our garden and a pear tree and um the idea was that you get the longest amount so you you'd alter the the sort of um the sort of variety so you get ones that uh, are ready for eating quite early in the year right through to ones that are ready eating quite late in the year and also ones that are very good for storing mm. So, yeah, there's there's a lot to the apple world that, sadly, we nearly lost. Mm. Needs rejuvenating. Mm. So if you're going to buy an apple tree, see if you can get an old English variety as well. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Very well, good. gents, I think that uh, is the end of our Pond Life episode. Your mouth recovered? Just Rob, about. the capsicum? Yeah, I, I feel like it's, Just about. it's taken about that long. Mm. Uh, there is a bit left. Yes, I think it's the <laughs> shall the, we one for the road yeah. <laughs> uh, brilliant well um, oh the homework just before we go is John so well I would say sort of like the treat time let's, let's see if we can all do an apple something 
from mm-hmm. May, from Maybon. Yeah. And uh maybe sort of thus acknowledge that that uh balance between sort of night and day. Um let's be positive about looking forward to the fact that after the autumn equinox the days do indeed start to get shorter and the nights longer. And for some people, um, they don't look forward to this. Uh, It's something which I'm determined that we'll address in our podcast. Uh, A lot of people have issues about sort of uh, the winter blues and such like. And I would hope that none of our podcast listeners need to suffer that this time around. Mm -hmm. Well, that is what, uh, it's probably a good time to announce a little mini-series, isn't it, on that. We're going to be doing um, various episodes to try and help guide people through that exact topic. So that's all coming up um, over the next few months or so. Mm -hmm. Um, But for now, thank you very much for listening and we'll be back very soon. Thank you very much. Thanks very much.